I want to start this morning off sober. Now I'm sober, but I want to start I want to start it off sober. I want to get your attention and I want you to incline your ears and focus what God is saying to us as a house. Yeah? And we're talking about living from the position of power uh, source and supply. This is the family we're still talking about. Every family must have a source and a supply to what's coming into their lives, into the home. Amen? I said every family. Your work is a sense, it's, it's, it's an element of, of source and supply. We understand that. But heaven must be above that. Tomorrow you forget the news that your company's closing down. So that company's no longer going to be your supply. But with a source above your earthly source and supply, there's always a way. Amen? But if you don't live from that, you're going to have problems. And most families in our nation have a problem because they don't have a heavenly source of supply. Yeah? And then the next level is Christians deceive themselves and tell themselves that God is their supply. But every action tells a different story. Amen? So, in my 20 years of being a pastor or so, and I don't know the exact time, but roughly somewhere beyond that, for years and years I didn't no longer have been saved. For years and years I just came, oh, somewhere around, somewhere around. Now I know the date. I had to ask David. David was one who led me to the Lord, so he knows, that he had, you know, he put, used to put it in the diary, and uh, so I know. The exact date, the time. I just know where and when. You know, it was a Thursday night. It was in my mother-in-law's bedroom. That's all I know. Don't need to ask any more questions. There was nothing going on in my mother-in-law's bedroom. Only that was being led to the Lord there. My mother-in-law wasn't in there with me. Lord. <laughs> yes, yes. So in my 20-odd years of being a pastor, I've learned, come across, you know, when you... In the ministry, you get to do an awful lot of things, you know. But I come across two regular reoccurring, reoccurring problems in the ministry. Regular, I come across these two problems. In all the years, I've been a, a minister. And <clears throat> you have to understand as a pastor, you get to do a lot of things. You get a lot to meet a lot of people. You get to do some things, strange things and some nice things. And you have some strange experiences. In other words, you get to counsel people. You get to pray for people. You get to just talk to people. You get to say the committal round a grave. You uh, get opportunities to instruct, share experiences. And despite all those kind of opportunities and experiences, I say, I come across these two common occurring problems. And number one is when... I've talked to people, or when people find themselves in trouble, spiritual, whether spiritually or physically, they tend to lack supply of maturity and knowledge. Nine times out of ten, where I see people in spiritual trouble, what have I had to counsel them, pray for them, teach them, da-da-da, all that stuff, I generally can't find... Not within everyone, but in generally, I'm talking about the general 
something, I generally find that there is a common lack of supply in their lives of maturity and spiritual knowledge or spiritual intelligence. Yeah? This shortage is what gets many in trouble. This shortage of supply chokes their Christian life. I've seen it. It's not a lie. It's not fictitious. I've seen it. So the man with the experience is not lying to you. I I say this because I see this time and time again. And this shortage of supply has taken so many people out of the Christian race altogether. I remember one person who was under, uh, let's just say their health was seriously, seriously under uh, scrutiny. And uh, they were facing a challenge, a severe challenge. And the more they were talking to me, the more I could see that you lack spiritual understanding of how to uh, to guard and govern your spiritual life. I could clearly see that they had no understanding of how to defend themselves in prayer. How to stand strong at the wall when the opposition's coming. So I said to them, look, I I pointed this out and I said to them, look, I'm willing to give you some help, teach you, da-da-da, da-da-da-da. And the response is, we'll get back to you. Well, they never got back to me. And one year later or so, they ended up burying them. And I thought to myself at that point, could that have been avoided? And I have to answer, I think it could. I would, like to have, I would like to have been given the opportunity to at least to have had the go. To at least give them the ammunition, to teach them the technologies so they could at least fight. At the end of the day, the outcome still may have come to that point, but at least we gave it a good go. I would rather fight for something and lose rather than not fight at all. Yes? Would you agree with that? But where there is lack of spiritual maturity, your idea of what you're fighting for and, what, and, and how strong you are it may be different from somebody who's mature. Seriously. How many times do your children say, I'm trying my best? And you say, actually, you're not. Well, I am. Because they're so focused in one aspect that they're not seeing the other things. Well, why didn't you do that? Yeah, yeah, I forgot. I didn't see that. Right. So somebody with a little bit more maturity or perspective can often help somebody who lacks. We all acknowledge that, don't we? So, how many of you know that when you're fighting for someone and fighting for something, it's, it can be a long, arduous process. This thought in the Christian mentality that if I fight, the battle will be over very quickly is not true. In some cases, it can be. But in majority of cases, God uses the battle to teach you things. He does. Now, I know we don't like that idea. We just want the monkey off our back. We want the problem to go away. But you don't have to look in scripture to see how many God's servants was in the midst of a battle and it went on for years. It went on for months. It went on 
and on. How long do you think Paul was going through his trials? All his life. All his Christian life. Jesus had three and a half years with his disciples. Okay, he had a short period in, in regards to some of the, the, many of the saints on the earth. But what a three and a half years he had. He suffered more than those three and a half years that you and I have ever suffered in all our life. And even the Bible used Jesus had to learn obedience. So when it comes to the battle, there's nothing like a battle to show you what your reserves are. There's nothing like a battle to show you what you actually have inside of you, what you carry, how strong you are, how mature you are, or how weak you really are as a Christian. There's nothing like the battlefield for that. Nothing. And we have to, we know that the battle can become tiresome, weary, ugly, fierce, emotionally draining. Because it's on us all the time. It never leaves us. We're in it. That's what it means to be thick in the battle. It's like a cloak that you wear. You can't shake off. You can't put down. It's on you all the time. Wherever you go, whether I rise or whether I fall, whether I sleep or whether I slumber, it's there. I wake up. I seem to get no rest from it whatsoever. That's enough to send a person insane. So we know that this is a dark season of the soul. Come on. It's a, and it's going to require some maturity and some intelligence. Because every battle needs relies on spiritual intel. What is headquarters saying? Because he knows our, he knows the enemy's moves. What is the word saying? So you have to incline your ear to heaven to hear what heaven's saying, as well as trying to get this communication in your spirit while all this confusion's going on, on the ground. It can be hard. And I often wondered when that guy's radioing headquarters and the bombs are going up, how the hell does he hear? And if he doesn't get it right... Or, the, or if he gives the coordinators, uh, so the coordinates for the aerial uh, bombers to, to drop their bombs, and he and they don't hear him right, devastation on the earth. Devastation. So the second thing I've learned and I've observed in my time is that many people use the fight to try and get spiritual. Oh, yeah. So these are two things I've seen over the 20-odd years in ministry. The first thing I see is spiritually, physically, people lack a supply in the midst, uh, sorry, in their life. Second thing I've seen is, oh, my iPad's just going to wobble away. Just give me a second. Come out. is when in the midst of the battle, people use the battle to try and get spiritual. Guess what? That's like the old idiom or the old proverb of putting the cart before the horse. In that, that proverb talks about 
the wrong emphasis. And how the wrong emphasis creates cause and effect. Hello? You are meant to be spiritual going into a battle. You're meant to be spiritual in the battle. And you're meant to be more spiritual coming out of the battle. But if trouble falls on your doorstep right now, and you're not spiritual, you'll be engulfed. You'll be trampled underfoot. And you try and get through that situation with your everyday with Jesus. Not that I'm decrying every day with Jesus, because it's been a good servant for many people, but it's only supplementary. It's supplementary. You cannot get through with your fridge magnet statement. You need much, much, much more depth, width, breadth, height, intelligence to go through some of the ugly stuff that some of you and your families are go- will go through and have gone through and are going through. You need a little bit more. Well, in fact, you need much more. Sunday church is not going to do it. It's not. I'm sorry, it's not. I don't say that to be ugly. I don't say that to be inoffensive. I just say it as reality because, you know why? Because many of the people I've spoke to over those 20 years have Sunday service. It's a walk that you need. And it's connection. And it's a work you need. Wish to God the church would find a work. Find a God-inspiring work. I don't say a job, I said a work. There's a difference between a Christ work and you having a job. Sometimes they can be the same. And they should be the same in many ways because we should all know our right field to be in. But it's because of this battle, because of this perception I've seen is that I want to draw your attention to the principle and practice. Because how many of you know the principle is not the practice? Principles don't change nothing. Practice of the principle changes everything. So many people say, let me give you seven principles. Keep your principles. Principles don't change squat. Practice of the principles is what changes anything. You write your seven principles down and second them on, guess what? They'll still be in your book tomorrow. But then someone will come along and give you five principles, and then you've got a book full of principles. The only principle you don't have is the one to practice the principle. Yeah? Many of you know now, for the last couple of months, we've been using the metaphor of rebuilding the walls. Because we believe that God has spoke to us about rebuilding the family, the walls of the family. Because we know that in Nehemiah, God spoke to Nehemiah. And he said, the remnant exiles are returning from Babylon. But the state of the city is in a mess. The walls have been burnt down. The gates have been destroyed. I want you to use the exiles. I want you to use the families of those returning. And I want you to position them together to rebuild the walls. Now we know that These are the families who had gone through horrific situations. They've been in exile. But nevertheless, God 
uses what they come out of and puts them in a work. This is so key for us as a church that all our families in the church need to be involved in the same work, the corporate work of the house. You will have individual jobs, that's quite right, and you will have your fields of expertise, which is quite right. That's a work that's every day, but the house must have a corporate work. So when we call the families together, we've got trained soldiers who can help us do what we need to do. So the house must have trained soldiers, not just people. Every society is strong because it's either got strong families or weak families. It is. So how do you rebuild a nation? You rebuild it by a family at a time. And as you build a family at a time, you end up building and restructuring a community. A community then is, is a given sphere that has an influence which then can begin to take more and more territory. Its influence can grow and grow and grow. And that's how eventually you take a nation. But there's a battle in all that. Yeah? So I asked you a question last week regarding supply and uh, source and supply. Did I not? I said every household in the UK has a supplier of fuel. Your gas and your electric comes from a supplier. It could be Eon, it could be, what's the others? British Gas, any of those, those companies can supply your fuel. And I said to, you know, there's a website called U-Switch. You may have seen the adverts on TV. In other words, it's a cross-platform. You can analyze which is the cheapest. You switch, you switch, you switch, that's it. You find the one that's best for you, and then you switch. And, and this is the issue that this is, for many Christians, it's time. You've looked at all the options you look at all the different churches, not you, church I'm on about. You look at all the different churches, well, I like this church because they have this. I read something from a good friend of mine, and I just thought, when I talk to him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a chat with him. And the church they see, they've got it on their website, the church they see. And as I looked at it, I thought, that's not a church you see, that's the services you offer. The church we see, well, we have a kid's this, and we have a kid's that, and we have this. And I thought, that's not a church. That's the services you provide. Where's the church? That's called Sunday maintenance. And I thought, that is not church at all. So where is the supply? Well, the, what he's saying is, all the emphasis is on a Sunday. It can't be. It can't be. The church we see, that's about people. That's not about a service. That's about beyond us. So there must be a supply, a source and a supply that creates a future for us, not just maintains what we've got. Yes? And some people, I believe there's great cause of people around our earth who are switching. They're realizing the churches they're in are not taking them to their destination. They're realizing this, slowly but surely. And God is moving core people around because he's building his church. God is building his church, but he's not building every church. Ooh. God is building his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell, but he's not building everyone's church. Why? Because he won't put his name to some things. Why? Because he said, that's not my church. I'm not building it. You're building that. That's not me. So the church that's building its own church has its own support, has its own supply and its own source. 
But a church is built by him, through him, and for him is a church that recognizes him as the source. Amen? So if you was, if you were, if you are, I should say, you are an heir of the king. So you have access to everything that God has freely given us. So if, based on that principle, if are you a high user or a low user? If God had to send you a bill each month, are you a low user of what God is providing? And if you are a low user, what other source is supplying your need? Think about that. If God, who has the storehouse of heaven, who has given you all that he has, and you draw from that source and supply, and he says, I'll bill you, I'll send you a bill every month for all that you use of my goodness, how much should he charge you? We said, well, it's free. I know that. But the issue is, there's no such thing as a free meal. We pay for it one way or the other. But God has given us freely, but we pay a price to get closer and closer and closer in the, and deeper and deeper in the things of God, don't we? It's called sacrifice and obedience. It's free. So God has to send us a bill. If you're a low user, then you must be using something else or someone else as your supply. Does that not make sense? So who is your supply? Maybe you need to switch. Does that make sense? A source simply means a person, a place, sorry, a place or a person or a thing which someone originates or can be obtained. Something originates, should say. Let me say that again. A place, a person or a thing from which something originates or can be obtained. It's a spring or a fountain from which a river stream flows. So a, 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 a river can be a source, can't it? It can be a source of energy. It can be a source of food. Rivers are used for so many things today. That's why rivers are powerful. We know our God is a river. The Bible tells us from the throne flows a God understands the power of source and supply. Out of the throne, the river flows and it supplies. And the fishermen who stand alongside, it says this river yields its fruit in every season. So it supplies to those who go fish, fishing in this river. So which river are you drinking from? And where's the river? Where's the source of that river? And where's the destination of that river? It's a, per, it's a person who provides information or insight. Our Father provides information, insight, wisdom, revelation, knowledge. Is that not true? And the word supply means something needed or wanted. I want him. I need him in my life. Something that he makes available to everyone. That's a supply. If I have a supply... It's no use having a supply if I don't make it available to people. So, in Ephesians chapter 3, let me give you the heading. God supplies to our lives in order that his own expectations are fully met in Christ. God supplies to our lives in order that his own expectation of us is fully met in Christ. Christ, God has an expectation 
that expectation is fully met in Christ. If God did not supply Christ, his expectation that he set could never be fulfilled and it would only ever be a frustration. True? Very often people set the wrong expectations, but God, in the Old Testament, imagine you being around in the Old Testament. No matter how many bulls and goats were sacrificed, the expectation, that was, that was the requirement, but the expectation was much higher. Yes? So they send the requirement, they send the bulls, but it never made that sacrifice, did it? Until Jesus came and paid the price once and for all, and now we don't need the sacrifice of bull and goats. True? So God made, the God who set the expectation, met the expectation in Christ Jesus. That's why every expectation of God can be met. The expectation, holiness, is an expectation. That's why the work of the Spirit in your life is perfecting you so the expectations of holiness are complete. That makes sense? So I kneel before the Father, Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family on earth and heaven derives its name. That is the source. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So let's just break that verse down a minute. Right there in that verse, we see, I kneel before the Father, whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Paul recognizes who the source is. That's why he kneels. Whoever you kneel to and yield to is your source. So if it's your boss, if it's your mother-in-law, it's your father-in-law, whoever it is you yield to and kneel to, that's your source. Whoever can put their hand on your life, that's your source. Come on. Whoever can manipulate you, that again, that's a source. It's a bad source. When the phone goes, who are you running to quickly? Now, there's a right sense in that. If your children are in need, of course. But there are some people just tend to be able to get hold of us and steer us in the wrong way. And we let them have a hold on our life. True? So we see that he's kneeling before the Father. So he's got an acknowledgement the Father is before him. So that's Paul's source. Then we read, I pray out of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So now he knows, not, not only has he found the source, he's found the supply. Out of your glorious riches, Lord, you will keep supplying to my life. But then he finds it, then he has another discovery. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Why? Because he realizes that all the expectations of God are met in and through Christ. So in that one verse, we see, in those three verses, should say, from 14 to 17, we see that he's found the source, he's found the supply, and he's found the, the, life's, the life that sustains it all is Christ. What a powerful revelation he has 
of this wonderful source. And he wants to make the source and supply known to all his readers. And that should never, ever, 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 ever change. It's a good practice for you and your family to kneel before the Father. That is the start of your source. If you can bring your family to that point of kneeling before the Father, you're telling your family, He is our source. When He says closed, it's over. But when it's open, it's not over. Doesn't matter what we're seeing around here, He supplies. He will continue to supply. And you, if you can bring your family to that point of seeing God and letting them see God's supply, showing them how God supplies, then when they are old enough, they begin to see how they themselves can draw from the very supply that you showed them works. Now they can never argue. And he says this, he may strengthen you with power. So in our, in, from that supply, there is not only material things, there is strength. And there is power you need. But if you don't know the source, you'll never draw from the supply. Many, ch- many children, I want to say children, anyone who's not a parent, or anyone who's a child of a parent, You know your mum and dad are a potential source. What you don't always know is how much supply they've got. But you know what? Most kids don't give a rip. They never think, I wonder what mum and dad's bank balance looks like, like we're ever going to tell you. They just see you as a source... And they have the faith to tap into that source. Believing that you will find it somehow for them in their need. Is that not true? And every now and then, they have a, you have to have a harsh conversation and say, look, where do you think all this money is coming from? Yeah, you've got it somewhere. Yeah, I have. It's called your future. I'm not going to give you your future seed today. We've made plans for our kids. Our kids will eat tomorrow's seed today if we let them. They're not bothered about the future. They're caught up with today's needs. But parents have to see a bigger picture, don't we? We do. We have to see a bigger picture. But kids only understand source... And they understand that supply comes through source. And they expect mum and dad to keep supplying what they need. And then the reality hits them when they become the source and supply to their children. They realize money doesn't grow on. So I I got smart with my mum and dad. And mum used to say to me, money doesn't grow on trees. Well, you didn't plant enough trees then, did you? Plant more trees, produce more money. Like I thought. So, so that Christ may dwell in 
your hearts through faith. Isn't that beautiful? So what you don't carry, the supply that you don't carry, someone else has to supply. The supply that you don't carry, hear me, hear me well, the supply that you don't carry, somebody else has to supply to your life. And here is the critical factor of source and supply. Because naturally speaking, I don't carry everything my kids need. I carry some things, but I don't carry all things. Naturally, spiritually speaking, naturally and spiritually speaking, I don't carry everything you look for. Why? Because I'm not Jesus. I'm not building church. God has to be your source and your supply, not me. I've got my role. I've got my responsibility. I know what I must supply. And I must be diligent in that role. Okay? But don't ever make me your supply. Don't ever make me your source and your supply. God is and must be your supply and your source. And Christ must reign and rule in you richly. Yes? Now, if my words, you hear my words in your spirit, right? That's good. But my words better be scripture. Now, if, my, if you can hear me saying that word, that's as good as God. Because God's reminding you of the word and where you last heard it. That's, so we have a role. I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit in laboring. Okay? But don't think, what would pastors say? If your only, if your first port of call is, what would pastors say? What would pastor do? Then I'm your source. Come on. I can't be your source. I don't want to be your source. Because I'll let you down. I will let you down. I'll prophesy to you now. I will let you down. Why? Because I let myself down. So I can't be your source. Don't want to be your source. Don't need to be your source. Never volunteer. Don't want it. Have you all understood that? So now I'm not your source. You need another source. And I don't mean ketchup. So what you don't supply, somebody else must. Or what you don't, what you don't carry, should say, somebody else has to supply to what you lack. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says this. Night and day. How long? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. So what was lacking in that scripture? Things in their faith. Their faith lacked certain attributes, certain facets, certain dynamics, certain dimensions... And guess what? Where was the supply? The supply was in the apostles. Can you see this? So somebody else was praying most earnestly so that God would give them access to you so that they could supply what you lack. 
Can you see this? Someone was praying most earnestly. What kind of prayer were they praying? Earnest prayers. They were praying most earnestly that God would give them an opportunity so they could get access back to this group of people who lack. Now, this wasn't a group of people who lack because of spiritual immaturity and negligence. These were people who were a fertile soil. And their desire was to keep supplying so they would keep on growing. Yes? It wasn't that he just wanted access to them. He, just, he knew they were, they, were, they were seeding these people. And they were serious about what they were listening to. So inside his own spirit, they prayed for him. God, let us go back. Let us finish this work that we started with some people. I went to France for 10 years. Andy came with me. David Birchinoff came with me. I forget who else came. Did you ever go? Hey? Yeah, Scott went and David went. Yeah. I took many people with to France. And there was a work there. And first of all, the door was open and they were hungry. I was the very first guy to preach the day the church opened. I preached the very first message. And there was a hunger. But then there came a time when I was there. I think it was with you, David. The last time I was with you. I just knew in my spirit, I ain't going back. Why? Because they stopped being hungry. They'd stopped being hungry. There was confusion. There was frustration and, and, uh, in my spirit that I could not deliver what was in my heart. And I'm paying to be there. They're not paying me. I'm paying them. They got my time, the resources, everything to be there. And they didn't want the word. So I realized at that time, this has finished. I have no desire to go back. Why? Because they're not ready. Now, it doesn't mean to say the church was useless. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they weren't ready. But I'd gone back for 10 years. I put a full decade in that thing. They prayed earnestly to see them again so they could develop that work. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I read this scripture last week. We don't, what we don't carry, someone else has to supply. 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Just stop right there. Just stop right there. Put a pin in it. Maybe as ministers, our first principle should be stop sowing seed to people who are not sowers. We sow seed to the wrong crowd. Most, most believers do not sow what they reap. Should have the other way around, didn't it? Said that wrong way around. Sorry, they don't reap what they sow. Sorry, said that. I knew I said it the wrong way around then. They don't reap what they sow. Yeah, they don't sow what they, what they receive. All they do is become, you know, bread's no good for your stomach. Do you know that? It's actually not good for your stomach. It just sits there and bloats you. And it doesn't have much nutritional value. Though there will be some things in there that the doctors will tell you, oh, yeah, calcium and all that stuff. Bread's actually stodgy. 
That's why most Christians just want bread. But most Christians are stodgy. Unhealthy, immature, spiritually either malnourished or overweight. So if we could find the right kind of soil, we would have seeds to sow to people. We want to see, we, I want to sow seed to sowers. Because sowers are growers. Sowers are growers. So he, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store. So God's giving you a supply on the earth through the seed that somebody else is supplying. You don't have the seed. You don't have a store until somebody begins to put seed. And out of that seed, the increase of that seed, you have to enlarge your capacity to build a barn. From that, from that barn, then you begin to sow that seed and supply to others. That's what we want to be as a church we want to be a barn for the nations. We want to raise up sons and daughters who will become trained soldiers in the house who we can deploy as and when and where the need arises. That's your sons and that's your daughters and you're the sons and daughters. So we want yours, you and your sons and daughters. So that's why the emphasis is on families. Because God's just not only interested in you, but in your children. And in some cases... Parents have stopped growing, and it's the sons that's going to outstrip the parents. It is. I expect Scott and Paul to go further than me. They better go, or I'm coming back. I want to know, I'll be meeting them at the gates. Before Jesus, hang on, let me have a word with him first. What the hell are you two doing here? Oh, how did you get here? <laughs> So, you'll supply and increase your seed and a larger harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way, and every Christian likes that. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform... It's not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. In other words, through what someone does, look at the, look at the cause and effect. Look at the chain reaction it creates. All because somebody doesn't supply, sorry, somebody doesn't carry something. And when somebody carries what you need, look what it can do to your life if you're willing to become a source and a supply. It's no use you, or it's no use God becoming the eternal source and supply for you, for you then only to keep it for yourself. That is not the intention of our Father, to make you rich only. The intention of our Father is through Him making you rich you use every opportunity and through generosity to then sow, pay it forward so that others can draw from, those others who don't have can now draw from your supply. And if you teach them practice principles, they become a source. And so it goes on and on and on and on. And that's how 
generations can survive. It's amazing. What you don't carry, somebody else has to supply. Now, the role of a leadership team is to see what people don't carry, what is needed. The other thing we must ask ourselves is what type of seed do we need? What are we expected to grow in this garden? I said to you just a minute ago that God said, Jesus said, I will build my church, but he's not building every church. But what does God's church look like? This is a question that so many, many generations before us and after us will continue to talk about. This is why we need the prophetic and the apostolic to show us what God is saying and to show us how God is building it on the ground and the materials he needs. Yes? You must, at some point, church, please, please, please hear what I'm saying. You cannot just only settle for the pastor because there are so many distortions of what people think a pastor is. There really are. If you ask most churches, what is a pastor? You'll be surprised what they tell you. Just like you talk to non-Christian people and ask them, what is a church? They'll tell you a whole bunch of things what a Christian should be. He should love everyone. He should be tolerant to everyone. He should accept everything. Because that's what Jesus said. That's their view. Yeah? And homosexuality and all that, it's just about loving one another, isn't it? But they understand love as sex. So there's so many distortions on the ground. So we must understand what church Christ is building and then co-labor with him. To see it, that's the church we see. So if we keep painting that picture of the church we see, hopefully we begin to see it. And as we begin to see it, we begin to possess it. True? And enter into it. Because in that church, there is an eternal source of supply. Making us rich so that we can be generous on every occasion. I want us to be a generous church. I really do want us to be a generous church. Now, in certain quarters of the world, you talk about generous church, people will milk the cow. You know we're not like that, so we don't have to defend ourselves. We take up tithes, we take up offering, that's it. We never come to here for anything else. That doesn't mean say we won't and we won't need to. But we have taught you tithe, we've taught you giving, and those who do that, wonderful. Those who don't, you still need to enter into that. However, we do that not so that we can just get your money. My, my, those days have long gone. In fact, they've never been here. We do that so God has a generous people. And with a generous people, God can do amazing things. God can do amazing things. Do you know, there are people outside of this world, outside of this church, who need our generosity. Seriously, seriously need our generosity. People who are on the front lines of the battlefield need our help. That doesn't mean to say we're just about to throw all our money. 
We're not like that. We do it through relationship. Right now, through what you might lack in your fight, the grace that God has given us as a leadership team, he has given us that grace to supply what you lack. He has given us a grace to strengthen you in the midst of your fight. Do you believe that? This is why it takes grace to be a leader. Grace to keep you in the role. Why? Because the grace to keep supplying to the people from the source to the people takes a grace. One of the, I said it at SOP this year. In fact, Pastor Philip said it first and I latched onto it after he said it because it's, it's such true. I discovered early on in my, year, in my years that preaching was the hardest thing. I've seen a time when I spent three days, four days, trying to get a message together. Right? That's four solid days. I've seen the time when, and he he knows this, and anyone who's preached should know this to some degree. I've seen the time when I have pulled all an all-nighter. In other words, I've gone all through the night, not gone to bed, just so I could put bread on the table the next day. Don't want the medal. Didn't ask for a medal. Don't need a medal. Why? My responsibility. That's what it takes to put a meal on the table. But guess what? I also realized I can't live like that. If I've got to spend four days to prepare one meal that most people don't even live, something's wrong. And it was something, something was wrong. It was called that phase. But you know, that phase, reading the statistics of ministers, most ministers will tell you, and I find this staggering to believe, but it's true, most ministers hate preaching. They say their ministry would be so much easier if they didn't have to preach. I'm thinking, but that's, that's the call in your dipstick. In other words, what they want to be is social workers. They want to just have cups of tea and visit people. That's not the ministry. That's aspects of the ministry. I'm thinking, <laughs> I can't believe that. But I know many of my friends in the early days would say, oh, I, can't, don't, I can't be available after Thursday. Why? Because I've got to get my head around Sunday. And all this energy came into Sunday. But, 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 that's no longer the case. I went to Malaysia. Things changed. I picked up a grace from my father. And it's never been the same since. Now I can't shut up. <laughs> now I write and write and write and write and write. Now I've got things to say. You drop me here, I can talk here, I can talk here. I've never got things not to speak about. Why? What changed? Grace. Do I still have to work? Yes. But when I sit down, because I'm walking with God differently, inspiration, revelation, knowledge, truth, it's all coming out of me. I never thought this resource, this internal river, could ever flow like it does. It took me to go to the Philippines to do 10 sessions in one go to realize this thing works. But where does all that, all, where does all that come from? Source and supply. I'm not one of these that just say, Lord, I'll open my mouth and you'll fill it. God says, yeah, we tried that, didn't we, Tony? It didn't work, did it? 
No, Lord, it didn't. Right, so you've got to find a different way then, haven't you, son? Yes. So, let me read this scripture to us and we're closing. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. I want to strengthen somebody who's in the battle this morning. From what you lack, heaven is supplied to me. So what heaven has supplied to me, I now freely give to you. Okay? So who's the source? God. I'm just now the person who gets to tell you the message. Yeah? Sometimes God allows me to look good. Sometimes. But he's the source and he's the supply. So what he's given to me, I'm giving to you. That which we've heard, we've seen, we now make known to you. So that you can now share what they lack, they, someone has to supply. Are you getting this picture? What you lack, somebody has to supply. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out. Reading Isaiah 7 verse 3. Then the Lord said, go out, you and your son, Sheer Jashub, to meet Hayaz at the end of the aqueduct in the upper pool on the, on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fire, anger of Rezin and Aram and the sons of Remaliah. Now let me make that story a little bit more clear to you. Here we have Ahaz, the king of Judah, is the king, but King Rezin of Israel and King Pekah marched up to fight against him. But they could not overpower him. So there was a force stronger than him coming against him, but it could not overpower him. So you're in the midst of the battle. You feel like there's allies coming against you. You're fighting, for your you're fighting for your family. You're fighting for your sanity. You're fighting for your husband, your wife, your children, whatever it is. Finance, whatever it is. And you feel that those against you are greater than those who are for you. You seen this? And then God says, God saw... And began to speak to King Haaz. And he said, okay, here's the strategy for you now. He says, go. King Haaz had heard that the house of Israel, or the house of David, had armed itself against Ephraim. With Ephraim, sorry. So the hearts of Haaz and his people were shaken. So let's just put this tribe, we'll call this tribe, a household. This household was now under stress because of what was potentially coming towards them to invade them, to oust them out of their position. Can you see that? Can you see that? But God tells the prophet. Thank God for a prophet on the scene. He says to Isaiah, Isaiah, Go and take your son by the name of Sheer Jashub and meet with Ahaz. So what is now is we're seeing a king and a prophet joining together. This is why prophets need to be involved in politics at some level. The king, you know, 
our government has many advisors, but it doesn't have prophets. So Christians need to rise up and get into politics, get into the domains, and bring a word as and when God gives them opportunities. Or just be a prophet and just ask God to give you opportunities to speak to government officials. Yes? He says, go and meet with him and inspire him at the end of the adult, at aqueduct, sorry, on the upper mill, on the road of the washing mill, at washerman's field, and strengthen him with these words. So God sees the situation you're in. They lack. But from what they lack, God speaks to the prophet. He engineers the word inside the prophet's spirit to go and, him and his son, to go and infuse and inspire the king with heaven's seed. Can you get this? And this is what he says. I'm going to give you four words now. And I want you to write these down because these are the word of the Lord for you and your family right now in the midst of what you're going through and what you will go through. And I want you to bang these. Make them large in your house. Make these words so large that you get the picture of what God's trying to tell you right now. The first word he says is, be careful. Because in the midst of your battle, you will make decisions and choices that are not always in line with heaven. What does the word be careful mean? Well, be diligent, focused, and avoid potential danger. Because in the midst of battle, other voices will come and speak to you. Be careful. Be careful. Come on, say it with me. This is a word coming to you. Be careful. Be careful. Be diligent with your choices, your decisions in the midst of this battle. Be careful. The next thing the Lord says, the next thing the Lord instructs the prophet to go and inspire the heart of Ahaz is keep calm. Now we all know the t-shirts. Keep calm. Keep calm. Be careful. Keep calm. What is the word, what's the one thing, what's the opposite? What's the, the antonym? Oh, we'll learn that from Pat. The opposite, right, it's freaking out, chaos. So when God tells you to do something, he knows the antonym is quite possible. He knows the opposite. Just letting you know I'm well read. Well taught. I just know the source. So keep calm means to remain peaceful. Untroubled. Here's one for you. This is the big one. You ready? Emotionally and psychologically stable. Emotionally and psychologically stable. If God's telling you these things, he knows the opposite is on the ground. So when the angel comes and he says, do not be afraid, what's he saying that for? Because he knows seeing an angel, the first thing that you strike is you're frightened. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid. That's why he says it. He says it to arrest the very thing that's in the atmosphere. The next thing he says is, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Here's the word for you. Don't let the situation paralyze you. Don't let the situation paralyze you. Do not become reluctant. Because most people think when there's a battle, I'll tell you what, I'm just not fighting. I'm not fighting no more. I'm not fighting no more. Put it this way. If you've got a sickness and you don't fight, you will fight naturally for survival. Do you know why? Because it's in your DNA to fight. God's put that self-preservation spirit in you. So you're going to fight. You might as well just choose to fight with God rather than against God. You're going to fight anyway. You've just got to choose who you're going to fight with. Who you're going to partner with. Are you going to partner with, with self-pity? Despondency? Or are you going to partner with hope, faith? So be careful. Keep calm. Sort yourself out. Have a word with yourself. Go and look in that mirror. Don't be afraid. And the next thing he says is don't lose heart. Now I'm telling you, these words are going to be etched over our families. Because it's the very four things I see being eroded away at the walls of our family. People are, people are anything but careful. People are not calm. People are afraid. People have lost heart. And here's God speaking to a king because behind the king is a nation. Or behind the king is a family, a tribe. And God sends the prophetic word to go to the king to inspire his heart. And that's what causes him to say, is that verse... Be careful. Uh, don't lose heart because of those two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the sons of Remela. These smoldering stubs, that's all they are. All God has to do is put water on them and the fire is, is, is extinguished. It just takes a little bit of rain from heaven. That's all it takes is a little bit of dew from heaven to fall on your family. All it takes is a few drops of dew to fall on the family to distinguish the flames of the enemy. So he says, and I say to you, as the Lord shows me this, James Hunter, in the sound of my voice, as the heavens are speaking through me to you, be careful. Be careful. As the heavens are speaking to me, to you, and you're hearing the Lord's voice through while hearing mine, keep calm. 
be peaceful, untroubled, emotionally, psychologically. As heavens is speaking to me and speaking to you, don't be afraid. Sickness, I tell you, the first thing what happens is, is when sickness comes, you don't keep calm. I've had that maniac alive in my attic. You're not, you are afraid. And you do lose heart. And here's God seeing what's on the ground. And here's God coming to supply what they don't carry. Can you see this? God is coming from his eternal supply to sue. From his eternal supply is now coming to supply to you the seed you need. So that you can enlarge the harvest in your life. But there are some things you have to settle. You have to settle on, on this. You have to settle clearly that there will be times when my heart is shaken, but I won't lose heart. I won't lose heart. There's a battle on. It's fierce. It's dark. It's ugly. It's angry. This is why you must partner with people. You can't do it on your own. But if you try and do it on your own, guess what? Why do you think you'll, you'll succeed? You have to partner with other people. And you think, well, I'm not in the battle right now, so I don't need other people. Don't get spiritual in the midst of the battle. Get smart before. Be careful. Be careful. Partner. Twin. Connect. Because somebody has to supply what you lack. It doesn't mean to say you're not spiritual. Don't see it that way. See it as other people supplying what you lack. When someone brings a word to my life, they're supplying what I lacked. Am I spiritual? Yes. Can I hear God? Yes. But I must recognize and make room for other people to supply what I lack. Let's stand to our feet, please. So if we're going to fulfill those four things, let me read you what we've already read as the antidote, the medicine we need, the seed we need. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Kneeling is a good place to start. Acknowledging the Father in heaven is a good place to start. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, everyone's got needs in this room today. I want you to know that God's supply is bigger than your need. And here is what it, why do, what does his riches come to do? They come to strengthen you with power through, we never got onto this, in your inner spirit. This is where the, this is where the heavenly supply now gets transferred from heaven into your inner spirit. 
So the supply is on earth. And he supplies it in your inner spirit. And that's why you need fresh power. And you need. He strengthens you with power in your inner spirit. We'll talk about this next week. So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Through faith. Through faith. Through faith. faith. Christ. So come on, come on. Calm down. Be careful. Come on. Hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. Calm down. Be careful. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I hear the Lord saying, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. But let Christ dwell in your heart richly through faith. You know, this is such a timely word for some. This is such a timely word for some of you in here this morning. That this is a word that God is trying to arrest the situation. And he's trying to let you know that God understands that, the, that, that there, it seems like armies have conspired to take you out. But God has sent the prophet, a word to a, prof- a prophet, to, to go and inspire the king. But God has sent a word to this man, himself, to go and inspire his people with the same word. Go and inspire them. There's a place, he said, near the, near the aqueduct where the water is near the washerman's field, and go and tell him there, this is what you're supposed to say. And there he will be inspired to see his situation turn around and that wall of his family become strengthened. Bricks get put back in there. So many families, for every brick we're trying to put in, you're pulling it out and throwing it at each other. Put the brick in the wall where it's supposed to stay. Be careful. Be careful. Stop taking the bricks out and throwing them. Using them as weapons to hit each other. Bring peace in your house. Be peaceful. That's what the word's saying. Put your bricks down. Stop talking to your partner like she's rubbish. Or your husband like is rubbish. Change your language. Change your language, folks. Think about how you're talking to your partners. Bring peace. Arrest the atmosphere. Think about how you talk to each other. Calm down. So, Father, right now we stand before you. We say, Lord, you've gone before us. You've supplied seed to the sower this morning. I pray, oh God, that your seed has also been put into the hearts of fellow sowers. Fellow sowers. Oh, right now. Right now, right now, right now. Kuriya da ba 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 sari and da ba shiri ende. 
sutiria darana se pateiro kutara nandile baba bakiria darababa sarianda naria tirio kotorion dolo boshiria darababa karianda mantiri bobo kuriondolo boshiria dar 